Then said the Lord unto Moses, Now thou shalt see that uh, what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand shall he let them go, and with a strong hand shall he drive them out of his land. And God spake to Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, and by the name of God Almighty, but, notice this, by my name Jehovah was I not known. This is the, this is the word existing one. The, the God Almighty is what we've heard, El Shaddai. But over in, which we'll, we'll probably allude to this in a few minutes, but when Abram, Abraham began to offer Isaac uh, as a sacrifice, the, the little boy, well, he was 17, he asked him, he said, well, what are, what, you know, where's our sacrifice? And Abraham said, God will provide himself a lamb. And when he used the term, God will provide, that is the first time Jehovah Jireh was ever mentioned. And that means God is our provider. And He still is. Amen? So here he says, I was not known by the existing one. In other words, what he's telling Moses to tell Pharaoh and all of the children of Israel is I'm going to tell you guys who I am today. I'm going to let you know who I am. He says, and I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, wherein they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. Wherefore say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rid you of their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And, I, and with great judgments, and I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land concerning the which I did swear to give to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, and I will give it to you for inheritance. I am the Lord thy God." Now I call this the seven wills of God, and I want you to notice what he was going, what he's saying here. He said, first I'm, I'm going to do is I am going to bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. That means he's going to literally, physically take them out of Egypt. And then the next thing, I will rid you of their bondage, meaning that not only am I going to take you. You guys can turn your chairs and look, you know, if you want to. It's kind of hard to crane neck around. But uh, he said, not only am I going to take you out of Egypt, but I am going to take Egypt out of you. See? And keep in back of your mind what all Jesus has done for us while we're reading this. And then the next one he says, I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and great judgments. Every time people talk about the judgments of God, we always have a connotation of bad things. But the judgments that He has done for the children of Israel were good. The judgments that He gave for the Children of Israel were bad for Pharaoh, wasn't it? And, and the Egyptians. He says, then I will take you to me for a people. That means they're going to have an identity. They're going to be His people. I will be to you a God, and you shall know that I am the Lord. The word I am is a, is a term. We, we use names and everything just so flippantly in our society today. The names that, pe- that people give their children is incredible. 
sometimes. Uh, I, know, uh, I know of a lady in Atlanta, Georgia. She is a doctor, very well educated, but her name is Famali. Famali Dr. Famali Jones. And her mother thought that the hospital staff named her when they put on the bassinet, female. And so her name was Famali. But when they named people back in these days that we're reading about, those names meant something and they usually indicated what type of person that person was going to be. So they had to get it from God. So God said, I'm going to, I'm going to let you know who I am. And the word I am, the name I am, means whatever you need from now on, I am the one that will supply that. I become the answer for every need that you have. So he's telling them, I, you're going to know that I am the Lord your God. And, and I like what Daniel said in the 11th chapter in verse 32. He says, they that know their God shall be strong and do exploits. And that's what this ministry is all about, is knowing Him. Amen? Becoming intimate with Him. And then God said, I'm going to bring you out of the land belonging, which, is, which means I'm going to give you a belonging. And then He says, I'm going to give it to you for an inheritance. So, that, so, so all of those seven I wills carry with it the blessing of God. All of these promises that He gave them, these I wills, came to pass. Uh, 2 Corinthians 1.20 it says, All the promises of God are in Him. Uh, yea and Amen. Now, the thing that these people would do in, uh, in Genesis chapter 12, if you want to go ahead and... Uh, or, excuse me, Exodus chapter 12 and verse 1. When I, usually I have done that message before. I call it the memorial meal. And we'll, we'll do that one again for you at some point. But, but I want you to notice what they did when God told them to rehearse this. They had to go over this every year at the first month of the year to them, which was April, Nisan, the month of Nisan. That word broken down, Ni, means uh, double, and Isan meant blessing. So in the beginning of the year, they said, we're going we're gonna to celebrate a double blessing for you today. And so every time that the house of Israel would get together and observe Passover, they would have to recite. The children would say, you know, what, why is this night different than any other night? Why are we doing this? And so they would go through and they would begin with the story of Abraham and what he, God did through him and how he, he uh, you know, the Abrahamic covenant was given to him and God made promises of, with him. And that covenant, that Abrahamic covenant, has been fulfilled in us because that Abrahamic covenant produced sons. See, that was the end result of that covenant. Now, when you come into Christ, you are a fulfillment of that Abrahamic covenant. So, they were to uh, rehearse this. And then let's go to uh, Exodus chapter 1. Verse, uh, Exodus chapter 12, rather, verse 1. It says, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for each house. And if the household be too small for the lamb, let them and his neighbor next to his house 
Take it according to the number of every soul. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. It's always enough. Approximately ten people is what uh, each lamb covered. Your lamb shall be without blemish. A male of the first year, you shall take it out of the sheep from a, uh, or from the goats. And you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. That's four days. And the whole assembly, the congregation of Israel, shall kill it in the evening. And then they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two, pies, two side posts and upper door of the post of the houses wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire, unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs shall they eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water, but roast it with fire, his head with his legs, pertinence thereof. And you shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it uh, until the morning you shall burn with fire. And thus shall you eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. And of course then he goes in to explain what literally happened. Now, when they did this, when, all down through time now since then, they, when they did the Passover, the, when I was in Israel, we actually celebrated a Seder dinner. And it had all these little things on the plate and the different rituals and all that stuff that went through. In fact, I asked the head of the household, why do you do this? He said, well, I, he said, that's what makes us Jewish, to do those things. He said, he said, technically, I'm an atheist, but he said, we do these things just because that's, we're Jews, and so we just do that. You know, I hope that we don't do that today. I hope that this means something to us. Amen? I hope that nobody is just flippantly uh, receiving these elements. But these people reclined at the, at the Passover feast. They reclined. And in fact, the picture that we have of Jesus and the disciples sitting around a nice little table. I was reminded when I was studying it this week, I uh, reminded back in 77, uh, I decided we need to have a real Passover. I mean, I was, what, 22 years old? I, we need to have a real, a real Passover, just like... You know, they did. Well, I didn't know what I was talking about most of the time then anyway. But uh, I got a table like this and I spread it out in the front of the church and got tablecloths and had glasses of grape juice and all the crackers and all this stuff and we all came in and I sat at the middle because that's the way the picture was in the, you know, on the wall. I sat in the middle as Jesus and, and we had communion. But, but these people reclined and so the children would ask, why do we recline at the Passover table. Uh, if you'll remember during Jesus' time, during the Passover, John laid his head upon the breast of Jesus. And you know that, to the Western mind, that's kind of strange. But they were all laying down, see. And they would tell these children this, because while we were in Egypt, we had to stand at the Master's table and serve Him. We weren't allowed to sit or lay down. But now we're free and we can recline and rest and take this because God has delivered us. So that's basically what they were going through. We were slaves. We stood at the master's table, but now we're not. Now we're friends of the king. His blessings. We recline at the table instead of standing as a servant. So get ready. Get ready to receive is basically what we're talking about. Now, our purpose, you know, the, when God told Moses to tell Pharaoh, and I encourage you to go ahead and read the story this week. It's, it's really fascinating once you understand the backdrop of why these things were done. He said, I want you to let my people go so they can serve me. 
several times. Uh, and and sacrificed them to me, he used once. But every time Pharaoh answered back, he said that he wants them to serve him. That word serve there in the Hebrew is a worship word. So when we're serving the devil in sin, we're worshiping him. But when we're serving the Lord and doing his will, it is a worship to him. Amen? So that worship means much more than, uh, than, than we had thought before. So our purpose is to worship him. And then they told, of course, the story of how God delivered them. Moses killing the Egyptians. You know, told how he went through all that. You know, he was real upset when he saw... You know, a lot of times your anger determines what your calling is. I can get very irritated. And this is the truth now. I can get very irritated if somebody is, is bothering you. If there's trouble, if, if sickness is in your body. You, I'm talking about you guys. If sickness is in your body, or if you're having trouble, I get real irritated and angry because the devil's doing those things. And I would treat you just like I would one of my daughters and my son if I saw somebody up on them hitting them or whatever. I would just, you know, no holds barred. So that's, that's basically what was in the heart of Moses. God had put that in him to protect the, the, uh, the children of Israel. See? And so that's why that anger rose up, rose up in him. So... Moses ran for 40 years, as we know the story, and uh, saw the burning bush, and you know, you know how God drew him back in, and, and he saved Israel. Well, now we're going to talk about the four cups. It's th these, four cu these first four cups here are called the cups of joy. The cups of joy. Uh, the, the first one is the cup of sanctification or consecration. Sanctification, along with sanctification, comes no condemnation. When, when Paul said in Romans 8 and 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. This means that you're in Him and you are sanctified and sanctification is the antidote for condemnation. So remember the next time condemnation tries to come to you, and impugn your integrity and tell you that you're not worthy or that you're not, you know, you're not the kind of person you should... You, you just automatically remember about the blood that was shed for you. Amen? That you, His blood has made you worthy. I know that sounds sacrilegious in a lot of ways, but His blood caused you to be worthy to stand. I'm reminded of Brother Hagin when he went one time to visit Jesus in heaven. He, was there. He, he fell at his feet and was crying. He said his tears were going on Jesus' feet. And he was saying with his mouth, he said, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. And then all of a sudden, Jesus said, Stand upright on thy feet. My blood has made thee worthy. And that's the attitude Father wants us to have. We are worthy sons and daughters of God. We're not unworthy worms of the dust of the earth like a lot of people want to say that. You know, in, in traditional and religious, in, in certain religions, you're not worthy, you know. And, but, and, and they approach God with an unworthiness attitude a lot of times. Amen? So, in this concept of being consecrated to God, many people have trouble with, well, I know God can heal me. I know that He can deliver me. I, you know, I know that he, the Word says that He loves me, but, but, but I don't know whether He will or not. Because after all, brother, it's as the Lord wills. And you know, they, they put that little twist on that word. 
making you think that they're holy and sanctimonious, which in fact, uh, it's ridiculous. It, it's a slap in the face of your redemption to say you're not worthy. So not only can God heal you, but He wants to. Just like our sister said about Him using us. He wants to use each one of us more than we want to be used. Uh, that's a little stretch for me because I want to be used really bad. <laughs> you know, and, and, I, and I strive for that every day in my prayer and, and to call out unto God for Him to use me. But you see, now since we are consecrated, that affords us the privilege of coming boldly to the throne of grace that we may find mercy, uh, obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need, doesn't it? That's what it affords. We can come boldly. The word boldness there is parisia. Uh, remember the store years ago? I was sharing this with somebody a few days ago. The store years ago, I don't know if they're still around or not, Parisians. Remember Paris? Was, it might have been one in Oklahoma City. I know there was one in, in Tulsa. I was in Tulsa when I learned that. Uh, but, but that word Parisia means boldness or confidence. Parisians, the store, the clothing store, wanted their people to dress in confidence. And so they, they named it Parisians. Well, we can come boldly. We need to have that kind of, of, uh, of, of relationship with the Lord. A boldness to come. Now I'm telling you something here that's very close to my heart. Because personally, every, every problem that I've had in my lifetime has been a result of low self-worth. Every problem I ever had was originated because of my personal view of myself. Not being worthy, not feeling worthy, not, not appreciating. And then when I began to understand these concepts and realize that me, little Jerry, can come boldly to the throne of God and speak to Him as a son to a father. I mean, that's, that's really liberating, isn't it? But, but, but there's many hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Christians today that feel the same way. They don't have a sense of self-worth. You see, unless your self-worth comes from being owned by God Almighty, that self-worth is not going to be strong. If your self-worth is, is locked up in your performance and how well you do your job, how well you raise your kids, how well you do your prayer life, how, if, you, if you derive your self-worth, from any kind of doing, then that will let you down. That's what Jesus literally was referring to, those concepts, when He said, if the light which be in you be darkness, how great is that darkness? Because if what we're using to conduct our lives with is not God, then eventually that system will fail. It may carry you for a long time. I've actually known people, I have pastored people before, that have lived all their lives, a man and woman, that really didn't love each other, but they lived their whole life. And then right down at the very end, they'd separate and divorce. Because what they used to keep them going failed them. See, And so it's the same way with you and I today. We need to have our confidence and our, and, and our stability, our self-worth, who we are in Christ based on the shed blood of Jesus and what He did for us. Amen? So now, let's see your paper there. Let's get the first glass and let's make this declaration. I'm, let me get one of them here. I've got it in my notes, but it's a few pages over. 
I sat down and typed this myself. Can y'all, are you happy? I did this while Teru was gone. So the first cup is the first, the, the cup of consecration or sanctification. And so let's make this declaration and then drink. Thank you, Father, that you brought me out of bondage to sin. Thank you, Father, for there is therefore now no condemnation in me because I am in Christ and He is in me. I can now come boldly before you with no sense of inferiority. Let us drink. Amen. The next cup is the cup of deliverance. It's also called the cup of praise. Now, after this cup was drank, it's hard to believe Jesus and the disciples had four cups on their table. Actually, there was a fifth one, but we'll talk about that later. It's, it's hard to understand and hard, because all these years that we've received communion, I remember when I was a little, I mean a small kid, mom and dad would go to church up in Michigan back in the early, early 60s, and they would have communion and all that. Of course, we weren't ever allowed to take it. But it, it, it's hard, after all this training and teaching and observing that we've done, it's hard to realize that there were four cups. This is the cup of praise. At the end of this drinking of this cup, is when they would recite Psalms 113 through 118 and it, it, had, it had melody to it. We have no way of knowing what the tunes were. But it, but it had melody. And sometime if you want to read that, uh, those Psalms, Psalms one, I think there's only like 15 verses or so in pretty much all of them. But these people sang these things. It's what's termed in Scripture as hymnic literature. Colossians 3, on down there starting about verse 17, I think, 17 through 20, is, a, is hymnic, hymnic literature, where they sang that because of the triumph that Jesus did at, at, the, at the cross and that resurrection. They would sing that. And so these people, when they observed these, this Passover, they would begin reciting these and putting them to melody and, and singing about the praise of God. A lot of our songs that we sing today are based out of those five chapters in Psalms. If you want to take time and go read those, you'll say, oh yeah, I remember those songs and, and those parts of songs in there. But now, so, as I indicated a while ago, not only did God remove them from Egypt, which was what the first cup represented, they're consecrated now to God, He removed Egypt out from them. Uh, removed Egypt from them, rather. So you see, what we can say here is, as, and remember this as you're about to drink this next one, is that not only did God remove me from darkness and put me into His family, not only did He redeem me from my sin, but He took sin out of me. He, not only did Jesus cause it to be able to, to, for us to say, as in Romans chapter 6, that sin shall have no more dominion over you, not only did He do that, but He took it out, out of us. We're no longer, now listen to this, we are no longer sinners saved by grace. We are the righteousness of God saved by grace. I'll never in my lifetime confess that I am a sinner again. Because I am not. Father has made you His righteousness. That is your identity. 
That is who you are. You, because that you are righteous, you now can commit acts of righteousness. That's what Jesus meant when He told the disciples. He said, except your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. And so you see, you say, what's behind that? I feel a real anointing on that statement right there. We need to understand that the acts of righteousness that we do must come from the heart of righteousness that we are. If not, it is works. Righteousness basically is kind deeds that you do. And when He spoke that to His disciples, except your righteousness exceed. I mean, their mind was flooded with examples that they had seen all of their lives seeing the scribes and the Pharisees and all these sanctimonious uh, unholy, but they were, they thought they were holy people out on the streets doing good deeds for people. Help, you know, giving money, whatever it may be. They did everything with an ulterior motive so that they would look better to people. And Jesus said, you can't do that. If you do that thinking you're looking better to people, that's your reward. See? So now, our acts of righteousness is based on the fact that we are righteous. He got sin out of us. We're free from sin, people. We don't have to sin anymore. Now, if you sin as a child of God, it is on purpose. Before you were a child of God, you sinned because it was your identity. See? But now, as a Christian, as a child of God... Your spirit will let you know before you sin so that you'll have a choice. Now some people get so hard-hearted, you know, like uh, Sister Joanne was saying earlier, the lethargy that has hit the church world in our modern day society is uh, it's unparalleled. And it is coming quickly to the place where Paul said... In Thessalonians, that in the last days there shall be some depart from the faith. And that, and that is happening today. Every week nearly. I, I don't search them out, but it just almost every week I'll read something where some preacher or some Christian has disowned Jesus, has rejected the gospel. One famous uh, uh, praise and worship leader, I think, was in, uh, what was it, Teru? What. Uh, what group was that? I think they're from Australia. Which one was Hillsong? One of the main leaders came out and, and, and totally rejected Jesus. After all those songs he had sang, just like what we were singing a while ago. So we're living in that time. And it's a, it's a calculated attack from the world of darkness against us. And it's because we have, we have gotten away from the Word of God it's not a major, a major uh, staple in our lives anymore. It's something that we use on Sundays or maybe when something bad's happened, we'll get it out and read it and you know, try to frantically get some kind of an answer, you know, some kind of relief. But when we incorporate this as a daily uh, issue that God's Word takes first place in our lives, then in fact when something comes along, we're going to be strong, you see. But if you stop reading it, if you stop praying, if you stop fellowshipping with the Lord, you'll get to the place where you're going to like uh, uh, you know, what the world has to offer more than what God has to offer. See, Amen? If you can't say amen, say oh me. Now, 
Real deliverance is inside and outside. You can't just go around acting like you're free. Either you're free or you're not free. Amen? So, we need to... We, you know, First John 1, 9. We're all familiar with that. He is, if we confess our sins... Notice it's sins, not sin. Not, it wasn't a singular. It was, it was not a noun. It was a verb. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive. Now that word forgive is ephemiae, which means to send away. Eliminate. If we, are faith, if we confess, which is homologio, if we, that means to admit it, not try to skirt around it and say, well, you know, and just, you know how some people will justify their sins. Well, you don't know what uh, she did. I'll tell you what, that young lady sitting right there told me something the other day that just totally amazed me. Uh, what somebody did to her and her first response was to pray for her. More of a man of God than I am. <laughs> if we're faithful to His Word, we will confess our sins and He is faithful to forgive us, send away our sins. And, this is very important, what, what's the next step in 1 John 1, 9? Just go over it in your mind. What's the next step, 1 John? If, we're, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us, of all unrighteousness. cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The word cleanse is the Greek word which we get. Our hospitals use this a lot. It's the Greek word for catheter. And it means to drain off poison. So He is faithful to forgive and to cleanse, which means drain off the poison, the effect of that uh, in our, from all unrighteousness. Everything. Every, every unrighteous deed that we've done, if we confess it, it's dealt with. And He cleanses us. So there's a cleansing that comes. Now a lot of people don't take that next step. They get forgiveness, but they don't have... In, in other words, it's like this. Well, I keep asking Him to forgive me, but I keep on doing it. That's because there's a cleansing that needs to happen. It's a supernatural operation of the Holy Spirit. It's not just something that you somehow mysteriously think that, well, it's, I guess it's gone. No, there's a cleansing. I'm telling you, He will deliver us from that want to. The whole time that I smoked cigarettes, it was a sin. Why is it a sin? Because it'll kill me, you know. Somebody asked me one time, I was about to do a funeral, I think it was a funeral director. He asked me, uh, uh, I've been asked a lot of times about this, he said, well, what about suicide? He said, people go to heaven, you know, if they commit suicide. I said, well, what kind? He said, well, it don't matter. What kind? I said, well, what if somebody does something that takes 45 years to kill them and they die from it? Are they going to hell? No. Cigarettes will kill you. So the whole time, see, that I was smoking, it was a sin. And I'd pray and I'd say, Father, please help me, help me, help me. But I wasn't letting Him help me. So I went on a 10-day fast in 2012. Went on several fasts during that year. A lot of things changed. But the Lord took the want to out of me for, for nicotine. It was always there. I didn't give in to it. It was a struggle, you see. 
But, but he took the want to. And I don't even think about him anymore. Even when I'm around him, I don't even think about him. So that's not meant for condemnation for you if you smoke. That's not my point. The point is that this, this cup of deliverance will cause you to operate in that cleansing. It will cause you to be delivered from the want-tos that are messing up your life, you see. See, that, that's where the rubber hits the road. It, it, you know, it's like one precious woman came to me one time. I did a lot of counseling. And, and so she had made her appointment and come in. And, I, and she said, please don't sit there and tell me just to go pray about my problem. She said, that's what everybody, just pray. Well, I said, you need to pray. And she said, but pastor, I need somebody to talk to that has skin on them. And that just broke my heart. That's what we need. We need pe- That's why we need to be strong because there's people out there that need you. Need you to speak into their life and help them with their problem. People with skin on them. Amen? You know, Jesus is real, but she needed somebody here that had skin on them. Does that make sense? So this cup of deliverance, this forgive, this sending away to give up a debt to, 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 that, that He's done for you and to purify you and to pronounce you clean, that's what this is. Now, this represented also the fullness of life. Psalm 23 and 5, well, a lot of times we've quoted this psalm in Psalm 23, my cup runneth over. That is the deliverance cup they were talking about. The praise cup. It runs over. Glory to God. The, the, the father of the house then. Now you see that little plate on your table there. The father of the, of the family or the leader, whoever was doing this. He would take his finger and dip it in this cup. And he would drop a drop on that plate. And each drop that he put on that plate represented one of the plagues that the, that the children of Israel had to, you know, the Egypt had to experience. There was ten plagues. He would put ten drops and he would recite each one because that meant that they were free from those things. Uh, read the story there. It's very interesting how that they were not phased. That, you know, the, the, uh, the blood were all the water. Even the, it says even in the houses where the victuals, the glasses we would call them, were, if they had water in them, it turned to blood. All the water turned to blood. The frogs, the lice, which were, some people say gnats. I hate gnats. I don't like lice either, but gnats, I mean, you're just kind of... The flies, livestock. This is the one that was so intriguing to me. All their livestock were affected so bad with, with, with infestations and pestilence, but it said there, only the Egyptian ones. The Israel, the Israelites, their cattle and their, you know, their livestock was not affected. The boils that they got. Very sore, inflamed boils all over their, themselves. Now you, you understand that these ten plagues took quite a while. I mean, you just don't get up one morning and have the country covered in flies and then you repent and the next day the flies are gone. I mean, it took a while for these things to happen. And then, of course, hail and fire, which was probably lightning, uh, that affected him. And then, and then the locusts. That little boy the other day had a, had a grasshopper in his hand. and I said, yeah, that, those are good to eat. And he said, what? I said, yeah, John the Baptist ate locusts and, and wild, uh, wild honey. But it, was, it wasn't grasshopper's honey. It was a different thing. So I hope he didn't try it. There's some people that do eat grasshoppers, I think. 
But nevertheless, darkness came on the land. And then, of course, the, the curse of the firstborn. So each one of those plagues he would recite and drop it on that plate. And this, this reminded them that they were saved by the blood. Amen? Not only did the, you know, the, the, the plague of the firstborn, which we'll get into, but, but, that, but that plague represented each one of their gods was, the, was these plagues. Each god was over each plague. And God our Father, the Lord God Almighty, wanted to show the, Isra- the Egyptians and prove to the Israelites of who He was that there's no God that can stand before Him. Amen? No God but our God is God. Amen? Glory to God. So in, in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 27, it says there that they shall thank the Lord for they were saved by the blood. Now with this last, with this last plague, they had to do something. The children of Israel had to do something. And that is that they had to, with this last one, they had to each get a lamb as we read to you. Now, now think about this. There were the, the, the statistic is this. It could be give or take a thousand or two or whatever. There were 250,000 lambs barbecued that night. You talk about an aroma. The Egyptians were saying, what on earth is going on? So they all had to, to bring that lamb in. He had to be without blemish, meant no sin nature in him. They had to tie him to the bedpost. That meant he became part of the family. They inspected him four days to find out that there was no blemish in him whatsoever. And of course, that's, that's like when Pilate uh, in, was uh, uh, interrogating Jesus, I call it, inspecting him. He, he finally came out and said, I find no fault in him. And the reason is that about this, that which relates to us, is about the inspection of the Lamb, is that it means that you have full knowledge. God wants us to have full knowledge of Him. He doesn't want to keep anything from us. We'll, we'll never know full knowledge of God. It's impossible. But He wants us to know more than we know now. It's like I said the other day. The angels that fly around the throne of God, every time they make a pass, they see a different side of Him they'd never seen. And this has been happening throughout eternity. For eternity past. So, so that's what happens. And that's the way it would be with, with us, I'm sure. So they had to, as I said, apply the blood to their doorposts and lintel. And when they did that, it didn't mean that he saw it and just passed over the death angel, he, that he saw it and, oh yeah, they got blood on there. It meant that he tried and they could not enter. Death could not enter their uh, dwelling because of the blood of Jesus. And I'm telling you, that, I mean, that'll preach all day long. You get the blood of Jesus applied to the doorpost of your life, death, sin, sickness, disease, nothing else can come into your house. You and your household are blessed because of the blood. And you know, this is one of the reasons of the yarmulke. You know what the yarmulke is? A little hat that, that they wear, you know. That's why they cover their head, because they were covered by the blood. Isaiah 54, 17 says this, This is your heritage. No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue that rises up against you, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. See, that, that's who we are. That's what we're commemorating today. 
Now, there was something else very interesting in this process uh, on every Passover table, and that was a lamb, a, a leg bone from that lamb, a leg bone. And they were instructed to never break it. And of course, we find in John 19, 32 through 37, that not a bone of Jesus could be broken and was not broken. And the next thing that was very interesting to me in discovering these things is that their wine that they used, Welch's was not around, so they used wine, but they mixed it with warm water. And you think, well, why? Didn't you say why? Did your mind just say, why? Well, it's because, and nobody knew for, for hundreds, maybe thousands of years, why they had to mix it with warm water until one day, in John, and it's documented in John 19 and 34, when a Roman soldier walked up to Jesus and stuck his sword into his side. What came out? Blood and water. And that's why. See, God, I mean, He's meticulous in these things. He had people doing stuff they didn't realize why. And, and, and you know, that's the way we are many times. You don't have to know the why of everything. You just obey God. And you'll, in, you'll inher inherit the benefits of that. Now, let's drink the second cup and make our declaration. We'll, we'll, we'll make the declaration first. Thank You, Father, that not only did You free me from the bondage of sin, but removed the sin nature out of me. I have no sense of guilt or old memories of defeat. I have been delivered from sin, sickness, disease, and all the attacks of the enemy. Now, let's talk about this matzah bread. Some people have criticized me and others that do it for using a leavened loaf of bread. But, uh, and as I explained to you, that's the, the why of that. I've always got a why for what I'm doing. And, and that is so that we can all get the picture. And, and, and here's the best way that I like to do it. We haven't done it that way here yet. I like to have someone standing up front and the people come up to the front and each one pinch a piece of that loaf off. Because it represents two things. That is, we are the body of Christ. And when we pinch that off of that, that represents the hurt that have, has come into your life through the offense of someone that may have hurt you or something you've gone through. It represents that. And when you pinch that off and then you partake of that, you are becoming one with everybody. See, that's in the body of Christ. That's why it's significant that we do not do it unworthily. Unworthy, is it's not unworthy, it's unworthily. Meaning the manner in which you're taking this. Meaning this, and this is very, very important. Yeah, I will. These elements here that are before you today, they are not representative and they are not uh, transubs... What do you call it in the Catholic? Transubstantial. Transubstantial. It doesn't literally become that. And it's not really uh, a representation. These elements today are spiritual. This is a spiritual thing that you are doing today. It's not just a ritual. It's not just a custom. It's something very, very important. So that's why it's very important that when you partake these things, especially the third cup, 
that there is no unforgiveness in your heart toward anyone uh, in the body of Christ or in the world with the people of the land. Because that means that Satan has a door, Joanne. Satan has a door then open wide for him to come in and wreak havoc in your life. Bring sickness, disease, whatever he wants. Because you have the door. That's unworthily. So, putting that aside now, that's why we normally receive communion that way. This communion, excuse me, this matzo bread was eaten after the deliverance cup was drank. Now, it, it was made of matzo bread. We call, they call matzo bread. And it's a square, about a six inch square. It's striped and it's pierced. The piercing, uh, physiologically, was so that it wouldn't rise at all. There was no leaven in it, but sometimes bread will puff up. You know, but so it was pierced. But it represents the piercing of Jesus, and the stripes are the stripes that we were healed by. So that's why I wanted to get a piece of matzo bread, but you have a cracker in front of you that's pierced uh, somewhat. But uh, th- there were in this, in this bag, in every, every home that was observing Passover, and even till today, in this bag there are three pieces of matzo bread. Three. And they never really understood why it was three pieces. I believe it was Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Originally, it was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But get what was in the disciples' minds when he, they were all reclining there and receiving this. And he picks up that bag with the matzo bread in it and he gets the middle piece out. He gets that middle piece out And he breaks it like this. And he holds it up and he said, This is my body. It is broken for you. And it, to use one of Karen's less favorite words, it blew their minds. Because they knew Isaac, but Jesus was, re- was referring to himself as that middle piece, which is the Son. Amen? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. Jesus broke that and said to them, as each father in the house did, the smaller piece, which let's see, it would have been this piece right here. They took that smaller piece. The the children took it. No, excuse me. the, The head of the household took that and hid that. Some of them even buried it. Then, throughout the ceremony, the children were allowed to go out and find it. And then when, we, when they found that, they brought it back in, having found that, that wonderful gift, we'll call it. Then they, they reunited it with that cracker, with that matzah, and then they broke it and distributed it among themselves. When that piece was brought back, it was dipped in horseradish. How many ever tasted horseradish? It will bring a tear to your eye, won't it? It's very bitter. That represented what they had been brought out of in Egypt. I found it very interesting personally that when, when uh, as I was studying this, I, I reflected back because after they got delivered from Egypt and spent 40 years going to a place that should have only taken 10 days, 40 years, those people began to complain and gripe. I use a word that starts with B in, in our modern language. Uh, is exactly what that word meant. But uh, they, they begin to complain. And, and notice this. 
They said, we want to go back to where they had leeks and onions. L-E-E-K-S. Leeks and onions. You know, they were desiring that. So I can just see Moses saying, don't you remember? Don't you remember what we were delivered from and you want to go back just because food tastes better? And God provided them quail to eat. I mean, they say one statistic I read, I don't know how true this is. You know, I, just everything on the internet's not true. Uh, I, think, I don't even think I had internet back then. But anyway, one statistic was that the quail, which rained down to feed, I think there was 1.6 million people, was five feet deep and five miles square to feed these people. Not to speak of the manna. You know, the manna, word manna means what is it? Because they didn't know what it was, but it, it was new every day. They couldn't, they couldn't save it till the next day because it bred worms and stank, whatever it was. I just find it interesting that after this miraculous deliverance, they, you know, they started complaining and all. Sounds like church people I've pastored before for some reason. But uh, it was dipped in horseradish to remember their time in Egypt. So I want you to break your peace and I want you to give one piece to your neighbor. And that is that we are all one in Him. Amen? So let's read our declaration. Just break, break a piece off and give it to somebody. Thank you, Father, that Jesus was striped. Let's read our declaration. Thank you, Father, that Jesus was striped and beaten in my place. I now can walk in health because He bore my sicknesses and carried my disease. I confess that I am now one with you, which means I'm one with my brothers and sisters in Christ. You bore the penalty of sin, and I don't have to. Let's take an eat. We should have got a some water. All right. This is going to be way too long today, but I'm sorry we can't make this two lessons. Kim, if you guys need to go, it's fine. All right, the cup of redemption. Which is the cup that Jesus was referring to when He said this is uh, the New Testament in my blood in Luke 22 and Matthew 26. I like using Matthew in these accounts because Matthew wrote his Gospel in Hebrew. And it's very interesting to me that he would, that he would do that. Now, in, in uh, Genesis 22, 7-18, we're not going to take time to go through that, but that's what Abraham told Isaac that I referred to uh, later, that God paid the price. God provided Himself a lamb. And God paid the price. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He became sin for the whole world. See, so we can't even hold people's sins against them. He became sin for the whole world so that we that receive Him might become the righteousness of God in Him. So God, God will provide. I haven't had anything to eat and I'm burping that cracker. Can you believe that? So in remembrance of Jesus, He said. He said, this do in remembrance of Me. Now you know the children of Israel, every time they did this Passover, what did they do it in remembrance of? Their deliverance. Everything they had been freed from. That's, what they, that's why they did this. Then Jesus changes it up and tells His disciples. 
which was almost like blasphemy but to come against what Moses said to do. But he said, this do ye in remembrance of me, not in remembrance of your sins. If you've sinned this past week, I don't want you to do this today in that remembrance. I don't, you know, whatever the case may be, or, or anything else, any, any kind of, of problem you may have faced, don't do it in those remembered. In fact, Paul said in Philippians 3.13, he said, I press toward forgetting those things which are behind and pressing toward that mark, the, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So, so that's what he wants us to remember. He wants us to remember Him. The authority of the blood that took away sins. Listen, your past is gone. How many in here, raise your hand for me, how many in here today is born again? The day that you got born again, your past was gone. Never ever to be remembered again. It's gone. You are a different person. Unfortunately, of course I'm probably stepping on something here, but we have to live in these bodies. You know, it's not changed yet. So we have a new nature on the inside of us that wants to do the righteousness of God, but we live in a body that doesn't want to do it at all and wants to hook up with our our natural mind and and try to take over. So he's saying saying that we are made nigh, your past is gone. Ephesians 2.13, we are made nigh, that means close, uh, by the blood of Jesus. Nothing else. That's something else needs to sink in. We're not made close to God by the time we spend in prayer. We're not made close to God by the things that we do, good deed. None of that. I know you sense His presence in prayer. You feel His sense, His presence when you do things according to His will and help people. You'll sense that, but that doesn't mean you're not close. You're close, you're nigh by His blood, and that's all. No distance. All right, He is, of course, our Passover Lamb. And, and this is the cup of blessing. Meaning this, that, that we're, the, we're the family that you belong in. See, You are in the family of God. You can't join this family. You have to be born into it. God is your Father. In other words, there's one Lamb per family, one Lamb per nation, one Lamb for the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. So God told Abraham, you know, that he was the father of many nations and all nations would be blessed and that this covenant was based on better promises. Now, let's do the uh, third cup. This is the one that we normally do. Third cup. Can you bear with me me until we get through with this? Thank you, Father that Jesus paid for my sin and I am now clean and free from its effects. I'm thankful that He was made to be sin so that I can now be made the righteousness of God in Him. You are Jehovah Jireh, my provider, and will never leave me nor forsake me. Thank you for the authority of the blood which makes me ever near you. Amen. Now, the cup of acceptance, which is the fourth cup. It's also called the cup of completion. And at every Jewish wedding, it was called the cup of acceptance. 
Meaning this, every Jewish betrothal had this cup, the cup of acceptance, and when the marriage contract was issued uh, to the bride and her family, it comes with this cup of wine. And when she sips from it, it is her acceptance of the covenant, the marriage contract. And of course, we are accepted in the Beloved, aren't we? We are His bride. And so these elements, as I said, they're not literal, they're not figurative, they're spiritual. So Jesus said, that He said, I will not drink of this cup until I drink of it in the kingdom of God with you. Because the, king, the New Testament, the New Covenant wasn't ratified yet. His blood literally had not been shed yet. But He drinks it with us now. Amen? He drinks it with us now. So let, let's, uh, let's turn to that fourth one then. And let's, let's read this. Thank you, Father, that I am accepted in the Beloved. I am my Beloved's and He is mine. I am thankful that I am complete in Him. I have accepted Your proposal and am willing to give up my identity in exchange for Yours. Glory to God. Let us drink. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Now this, this fifth cup is called the cup of Elijah. Uh, they were not allowed to ever drink of this. But it's interesting to me because the feast of the Passover lasted eight days. And throughout those eight days, the children were told to go to the door and open the door and see if He was coming. Because they knew that Elijah was the forerunner for the Messiah. And they always asked, is he coming? And at different points, they would go out and see that. And, and he, they would come back in and say no. And so they left that cup sitting there. But, uh, you know, John the Baptist, in jo John chapter 1, and, we, and you can read this on your own. We have, don't have time to get into that. It's wonderful teaching. But 6 through 34. And then, of course, verse 29, John looks when he sees Jesus coming and says, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. So you see, they weren't looking for Jesus to come as the Messiah. They thought He was going to come in great splendor and power like a king would. They didn't know He was going to be born of a virgin and in a, in a manger stall. But we know that He has come. The Messiah did come. He came to His own, but His own received Him not. And so, it, and thank God, because He turned to the Gentiles, and we have received Him. And in Luke chapter 7, verse 22, is messianic fulfillments. He said, you go tell John that there's miracles, signs, and wonders. I'm putting that in my own phraseology. But you go tell him, because they knew that when the Messiah came, those things would happen. Well, we know they happen today, don't we? They happen today. In fact, we're, we're standing on the Word of God that that young baby right there, her thumb is healed in Jesus' name. Jesus fulfilled all four of these cups, including completion and Elijah. We are complete in Him, Colossians 2.10 and John 19.30. When Jesus... This is, the, this is what's iffy among theologians. When Jesus was on the cross and asked for the vinegar and they put it to His mouth, they say that that was that fifth cup. The cup of bitterness, they called it. And He gave up the ghost. He said, it is finished. And I'm here to tell you today, our redemption is complete. All we have to do is choose to walk in it. 
Now we're also looking for Him to come. Amen? He's going to come back one day and receive us. And let's drink that fifth cup.